Okay. Can we say welcome to everyone? This is our first time speaking here in Albury. Um, and I'm Mary, and this is AJ. Well, Just Mary's so you know. Mary, but I'm Jesus. <laughs> Otherwise known as. Otherwise known as. Yeah. <laughs> and the main, the main thing we normally do when we first meet a new group of people is we give you the opportunity to ask questions. Or we can choose a subject that we can talk to you on. It really is a, or you can choose a subject that you would like to be talked to about. It's really up to you as a group. And what we like to do is have audience interact with the subject though. So that means that uh, we would love for you to express yourselves during it. But if you could restra restrain your self-expression to questions, that would be really lovely. Um, or personal experiences that you'd like to know more about, that's fine too. Um, so that's what we normally do in our first uh, session when we get together with people. Um, so would you like to be, what, would you like that to occur where you've got questions and, or would you like to have a specific subject that we present to you some things about? What, what would you prefer? Questions? Questions. Questions? Okay. <laughs> and um, is anyone here, has anyone here not seen a DVD or some kind of material from us? Okay. Oh, okay, so quite a few people, yep. Right up the back, um, as Mary's holding in her hand, we've brought along a gift with us. There's 14 DVDs in that pack, and they're all available for free up the back. So you can take them with you. And they're like a basic introduction, if you like, to the teachings that we present. So there's an introductory DVD, um, one on prayer, faith, longing for divine love, or longing for God's love, longing for God's truth, and... Humility, faith, yep. So, and they've all just been remastered. Eagle's part of a team that's remastered them all and they've got new artwork and they, they look lovely. Yeah. Joy's worked really hard to get them here for you today. Now, what, what we do, the reason why we can give them for free is because uh, everything myself and Mary do is for free. So um, we, don't, uh, we only have a donation box up the back You'll see one up the back for DVDs and one up the back for myself and Mary. They're the only, and, and you don't have to donate, it's up to yourself whether you do or don't. Um, we, we leave that up to everybody that we come and do these talks with. Um, we often find we get enough donations through groups of people that enable us then to print up DVDs for free. And so the DVDs that you've gotten for free this weekend were actually donated to you by another group in Queensland who, um, and they, uh, there was about 150 or 180 of them uh, together and the donations that we received from them uh, paid for all of the DVDs, so they, they donated nearly $6,000 for DVDs and the donations that they got for DVDs enabled us to pr print another 400 copies of 14 sets each. So um, that's how myself and Mary work. So. We don't take, um, we don't ask for any cost to the seminar. We've uh, obviously hired the venue and all those other things. And when we run out of money, we just stop doing it. That's how we work. So, and then until extra money comes, and when extra money comes in, then we do it again. Uh, that's how we live our lives. And actually, myself and Mary live off of the donations as well. We don't have any other job or anything like that. So both myself and Mary and live off of the donations that we receive doing these events. Yeah. So, and we look healthy enough, don't we? <laughs> it's not like we're starving or anything. 
So. We own a hairbrush. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Two, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's, what, that's how we manage everything. And is there any other preamble that we need to give you just to give you a bit of background? Um, we, oh, we have some websites, obviously, that are up and running. Um, the first one is www.divinetruth.com. Um, that website, the divinetruth.com website, is myself and Mary's personal website. That's the website that we uh, inform other people about what we're doing and where the seminars are and all of those kind of things. Now, we've just uh, gone through a whole heap of changes on the website, so, so um, sometimes bits of the website are still not working. Um, I do all of the website programming at this point. And so in amongst all the other things that I do, it just depends on when I get around to the website as to how frequently it gets updated. On that site, though, you'll find MP3 downloads of over 100 t different talks that we've given at different times. So from each, um, from each seminar we give, there's a sound recording created, and that goes on that website, as well as a video recording, which goes on YouTube. And uh, we also have a links on that website to the YouTube videos. So if you struggle to find them on YouTube, then you can find them by linking uh, from the website. We also have a lot of PDF documents on that website of channeling that people have done or Mary's done or uh, things that myself and Mary have written and things like that, and that's all on that first website. The second website that we've set up is called God's Way of Love. .org. Um, this is a non-profit organisation that we're currently setting up. We're still uh, yet to complete the setup of the organisation, but the website's uh, getting there. It's, it's sort of getting up and running. That is uh, all of the things that we do um, that are sort of helping groups of people engage their desires. So. The God's Way of Love, dot, uh, the God's Way of Love organisation, which is an organisation we've only recently set up, is is set up so that people can collectively or as a community um, do things that engage the principles of divine truth in their day-to-day -day life. And so, for example, up in Queensland at the moment, we've got uh, a lot of people who are involved in what are called teams and. There's a, like an environment team and they do things like helping fauna, helping fauna and doing a lot of things, but doing it in harmony with divine truth, not, not in harmony with other principles, but within harmony with divine truth. And then there's another team which is going to be having projects to constru of construction, so constructing things in harmony with truth and love. And then there's a, another team that we're looking at safety and, and how we can make our environment and ourselves uh, far more safe, um, but that's also in harmony with the principles of divine truth and love. And, and there's all of these different teams. That we're slowly having discussions which we're letting people know about on the net. Uh, but, and so far there's seven teams, but there'll be eventually about 16 teams, uh, all doing different projects, and everything's voluntary. So our uh, contribution to the organisation is voluntary, and also everybody else who's involved in that organisation volunteers their time. So none of the donations towards that particular organisation go towards any specific individual. They go towards getting different projects done. And those projects may be in the community uh, at large or they may be uh, in what's called a learning centre that we're setting up as well. 
So that's uh, the second organisation um, that we look after. And those are the two website um, locations if you want to discover more of what's going on surrounding us. As I said, because I'm the only person that updates both websites at this point, um, they get updated when I get time. Unfortunately, that's how it works. All right, so that's the general background of the, the, the mechanics of what's going on. Um, what we would like to do now, for the people who have received uh, some information, either, either via DVD, DVDs or someone who's talked with you, or, um, you obviously are going to have questions, so we'd love to answer any of the questions that you do have. So just raise your hand when you're ready. Here. So nice to have you guys here, it's really good. What was your name? Philip. Philip. Nice to meet you, Philip. Um, so if you hold the mic up a little more direct, it. that's it. Yep. Nice. Some 38 years ago, you appeared to me yep. um, in a conscious um, vision that I had. And I'm wondering how you could put some light on that when in, you had already reincarnated him. Yes, uh, that, I'd be happy to do that. Um, Many people who meet us uh, have had recollections of, them, of, of our appearing to them prior to our meeting them in the flesh. And it's quite actually quite simple to understand when you understand the full picture. But maybe to give you a bit more of a long-winded explanation, I can go back to the soul itself and the construction of the soul. So perhaps we can do that for the sake of people who have may you. not... Yep may not realise those things. So, well, firstly, God, God, who is a soul, so I'll just draw God like that, with masculine and feminine qualities, had these children souls. All who, who have also masculine and feminine qualities. These are complete souls, if you like. When we incarnate the very, very first time, what happens is the soul separates into its two halves. Now, the dominance of a, of a quality in the soul determines what bodies it's attracted to. So if, the dominance of, if it's a dominance of masculine qualities in the half of the soul, then it will be attracted. So there's the half of the soul. and there's, in, in the case, I'll draw a male-female type, what you would classify as a, a fairly standard, like 80% of the population is like this, so let's describe it. And the male then is attracted to incarnate into two bodies that are created for it. There's a spirit body and a material body, both of which are created at the time of conception. So when, when mum and dad get together, have sex, the, the sperm and egg cell meet, and within a very short period of time, both bodies, the genetic structure of both bodies is created in that instant, and then both bodies develop they gestate and develop in synchronous, in synchronicity with each other. But they have very different, uh, they have a very similar genetic strand, but there's different genetic makeup, obviously, which is why one of the bodies is a spirit body and the other body is a material body. So the half of the soul is connected to those bodies via, let's call them cords, or you can think of them as energy streams, energetic streams. <clears throat> Is there any questions so far about that? So, so racing rundown on the female side. So the female part of the soul, the, the part of the soul that is 
more feminine in its expression or dominantly feminine is attracted to two bodies in the same way, different uh, from, a di from a different parent, obviously, or parents, physical body, PB, physical, or MB, material. So like it's the same. <laughs> so, just, so you know. Is there any questions so far about that? That's how we, in our very first incarnation, incarnate into the, into the human form. Now, from that moment, we begin development. Right from the time of shortly after conception, inside the womb, our experiential development begins. And this is why you're conscious of receiving feelings, in particular from your parents, right from that time. But you also can hear words from them right from that time. This is why if you sing to your unborn child, your child will actually have some responses. You know, Many mothers that have done that find the child you know, turns over and kicks a bit and so forth, depending on different responses. And that's because the half of the soul connected to that body is already developing. It's already receiving information from its environment and learning new things, learning how to express itself and everything. Now, each one of these complete souls has a unique character, personality, and attributes, what I'd call attributes. Every one of the souls, before they're incarnate, actually have unique character, attributes, and personality. However, in their first incarnation, they are not conscious of themselves. They have no idea who, what their character is. They have no idea what their personality is. They have no idea what their attributes are. And it's through the process of the first incarnation that they learn everything or begin to learn everything about themselves. So right at their first incarnation, while they have free will, they are not conscious of how to even use it. Does that make sense? They, they don't even know because they don't know themselves yet. It's like um, when you're... I just need to have a cough. Just turn off. When you're um, developing inside of your mother's womb, for the first time in the first incarnation, you're beginning to understand yourself a little bit. Now, obviously, that understanding uh, grows at an exponential rate and can continue, in fact, to grow at an exponential rate throughout your entire existence. But unfortunately, for most of us here on Earth, due to different emotional impediments and environmental factors and physical factors that are imposed by our environment upon the development of our bodies and our emotions in particular, which also then affect our mind, our, there, there are severe limitations placed upon our development. And for this reason, by the time we're seven we're often fairly well set in how far we will go in our future, unfortunately. Unless we engage the way that God created it for us to clear away some of those injuries that we receive from our environment and so forth, then we will have the prospect of like, further development. For most people, their development is firmly set by their environment and in particular by their parents' limitations. And if you think about your life, it's, there's an old saying um, that, 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 the, that the seed doesn't fall very far from the tree. 
And unfortunately for many of us, that's very true in the sense that the seed, being ourselves, the seed of our parents, doesn't fall very far in terms of our depth of experience and in particular in terms of our emotional experience from our parents. There is a lot we can do to fix that and in fact we can fix that permanently. We don't in the long run have to be limited. But so far, everyone understands what's going on with the first incarnation. Is there any questions about that? If we... AJ, I'm just wondering where the soul exists before it incarnates. Good question. Um, the soul exists... Um, um, the best way I can answer it is probably to draw just a few sort of diagrams, perhaps. If you can think of um, the universe as containing uh, three primary concurrent uh, dimensional spaces, what, what you would call parallel spaces or parallel universes, the first space is the physical space that we all exist in. So our physical body exists in, I should, I should say. And so what we're living in here on Earth is a part of that physical universe that we can see with the human eye. We have wavelengths uh, of light that we can see, but, but we obviously there's a broad spectrum of wavelengths of light, but we can only see the visible spectrum. And then we can touch each other and touch our bodies and so forth because of the denseness of the matter remains the same. So the reason why I can't walk through that wall is because the matter in my body is of the same denseness, if you like, as the wall. And so I'm going to hit the wall rather than walk through it, if you like, in my physical form. So that's one concurrent existence. Now, at the same time, this spirit body is actually existing in another concurrent existence. They are joined together via a cord and they, the soul experiences everything. So you can't think of it as um, three separate experiences. They are the same experience but all filtered to the soul. But you can think of it like this. The material body is the robot the soul uses to experience the physical world. Right? The spirit body is the robot the soul uses to experience the spiritual world. And the soul itself exists in another world or space completely. And that you could call that the soul dimensions, if you like. Now, that particular dimension is where all of us get created. And when you arrive back in that dimension sometime in your future, you will actually be able to see the souls and their uniqueness in that space. Um, not necessarily with these eyes, of course, because these are physical body eyes. You have, you've got eyes of your own soul, which we, there's a sensory apparatus, and we'll talk about some of that uh, as we go. But the sensory apparatus of your own soul is is expressed through these robots that are the bodies, if you like, that we, we use until we get to a point of what's called union. And in the soul union state, you no longer need your bodies. And in a soul union state, that's the state which you first incarnate from. And so in that soul union state, there's two forms of souls. There's the souls that have progressed to that point um, through development, and then there's the souls who were created in that point right from their inception, which every one of us uh, came from. So every single person existed in this soul union state without being conscious of it at some part point in our past. 
And then through this process of incarnation, we became conscious of ourselves, of our environment, that we're separate to our environment, and we became conscious of identity, if you like. And in the process of incarnation, we now know our identity to a degree. And you know, even if we die as an aborted child or a, or a miscarriage, we have an identity because we've gone through the process of incarnation already. And as a result of that, the bodies are coexisting in these different locations, if you like. So the soul-based, if you could call it soul-based body, which is amalgamation of its two halves, exists in a dimensional space which you can progress to. Right? And then the spirit body exists within a stream of dimensional spaces that you can progress to. And the physical body resides on Earth or on some kind of other Earth, if you like. And we have some kind of physical, we have a material interaction with the world. So you can think of the material interaction as like the baby steps. So all of us are still babies. In the nursery. In the nursery, right? And if you can think of it that way, when you progress to the spirit world for the first time, another set of influences open up to you. Yep. Now... In the material form, you can still be connected to the spirit body and the soul union state and progress to that exact same location, but while you're still expressing yourself on earth. So it gets a little bit more complicated as we go through. So, so in other words, I can progress. Uh, there are dimensions in the, spirit, in the spirit form. So, for example, in the spirit world, there's dimensions. They are often called spheres, four, five, six... And most forms of uh, progression on Earth understand that there's at least seven. The reality is that there are, as, as far as I'm aware, 36. But, but most people never talk about them because most people on Earth are influenced heavily by the people that are in the sixth dimension of the spirit world. And the people that are in the sixth dimension of the spirit world feel there's no, many, no other dimensions. And so they then tell the people below, we, we haven't gone to any other dimensions, so there must be no other dimensions. The reality is there's a lot more people above that location and every single person on this planet can grow beyond that location. So here we are progressing. Um, and in our spirit, normally in our spirit form, we arrive in the, in the spirit world in dimension number one or sphere number one. And each one of these dimensions is a condition in love. So the more loving I become, right, the more, more I can progress through the dimensions. Unfortunately, most people on Earth think they're loving, but we're not really very loving at all. And for that reason, most people on Earth pass into the first dimension of the spirit world, and then they have to learn more about love in the process. And it's love that marks the boundaries. Mar love allows me to transverse the boundaries or to go over the boundaries separating each dimension. When I have enough love where this soul union place can take place, then I'll be able to see where I came from. Does that make sense? In terms of see it for the first time. But many spirits in the spirit world have never ever seen it because they've yet to progress to that condition of love. Does that make sense? Yeah. So going back to Philip's question, so which leads Philip's into question. this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just rub that off. Now, Philip's question was about how could he, you how could he to... hear or have an experience to of see. meeting me 38 years ago 
when I had reincarnated on earth, but he saw me as a spirit. As you are now. As I am now, but as a spirit. You, sort of, you didn't physically see, meet me 38 years ago, because if, if you did, I would have been 10. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So the question is, how does that happen? So, Philip, did he look like he looks now, or are you just... Exactly. Exactly as he is now, without the glasses, yeah. yep. and from here up, yeah. it's identical. Yeah. And that's 38 years ago. I was only 30 years of age. Yeah, yep. And this has happened to many people we meet. So it's not just happened to one person. So, so how does all that happen? Well, what's happened, and the reason why I've had to give you this bit of background is so that you can understand the soul. Now, what we want to do then is now understand, help you understand what's happened to Mary and my soul. Because we're one soul. Together we're one soul and not two separate souls. We're one soul. I'm the masculine expression of it and Mary's the feminine expression of it. So how did that happen? Well, what happened is we arrived on Earth 2,000 years ago and we discovered and went through this process which we are now teaching you. And this process is we started progressing in love through these different dimensions. And... While I was on earth in the first century, I, promote, I progressed into the tenth dimension while I was on earth in the first century. And Mary progressed to... What do you feel it was, babe? Well, She's I... She's pessimistic it, yep. at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was pretty bad when I died. So, two or three. Third. That's the dimension I observed her in anyway. So, so we progressed until the 10th dimension, or in Mary's case, the 3rd dimension. Now, in the, seventh, the transition between the 7th and the 8th dimension is what, in the first century, I, recall, I refer to as the new birth, or being born again. And, or uh, it's also referred to in the Bible as becoming at one with God. So in the 7th and 8th dimension, you become at one with God, and then you continue progression. And you can continue progression right way, way above these dimensions, right up to a point where the soul itself, the two halves, amalgamate and become one again. Right? Now you could think of it as a space like in the 22nd dimension, so a long way in the progression. And this is what happened to myself and Mary. And we realised in that place that we could actually now, for the first time in human history, nobody has returned to Earth before us, by the way, and we'll answer the questions about reincarnation as we go, but for the first time in human history, there would be somebody who could, could choose to return to Earth if they so decided right, from that state. Now, what happened was we reincarnated, if you could use the term loosely, because I don't like using the term so much because... The concept of reincarnation that mankind has on Earth is very different to the reality of it. Well, can no. we say exactly what happened? We, what actually we, happens yep. is that we stay, that soul stays in its form, but it actually connects to two new bodies created by another set of parents that it chooses. So in the first case, the soul has no choice. Remember I said that? But now in the second case, it can choose the two bodies. So what happened was I chose this body you see before, before you. Mind you, it should be about uh, six inches higher 
from what I chose and, uh, and slight, slightly shaped differently, but it's the emotional injuries that cause the distortions, and we'll talk about that if you want. But so what happens now is that I can now project at any person from that point in time, this soul, can now project a picture to any person who so desires it, what I'm going to look like at some point in the future. And what I chose to do is project to people what I'd look like when I met them. Because straight away you'd see there'd be some significance in the, in the relationship. Right? Straight away they go, well hang on a sec, I met you when I was 30. <laughs> and now you look the same. How does that work? What happened for you, That's Philip, when you... Uh, do you see it on a DVD or...? No. no? no. You, did you meet AJ some other time? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I saw it on just, just use the mic, yeah. Yep. DVD. Yeah. And what was the feeling when you saw that? I brought tears. Yeah. Mm. So sort of a recognition. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I feel it now, just the same. Sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yep. Long time ago, but it's, it's still quite raw. Yeah. yeah, and Mary Magdalene has obviously appeared to many people in the same way as Jesus has. So, so in terms of myself as Jesus, I've, I've appeared to many people and Mary has appeared to many people too in the same manner. Yeah, it transformed my whole life. The, the, the experience that I went through yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and what I was hoping to do in a lot of these uh, interactions was eventually meet the people involved so that we could have these face-to-face conversations and explain <laughs> how it all happens and how it all works and how the soul progresses and all of those kind of things. Because the issue we face on the earth is that um, there's not much truth on the earth about how all of these things happen. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories, all of which are very, very different uh, to each other. But unfortunately, from our perspective, the, those of us who have been to these locations... They just don't resonate. No, there, there's no truth in these theories. Or, right. or when I say no truth, that's probably not the best way to say it. There is bits and pieces of truth, but uh, often not a whole library of truth that all adds up to this connection with God that I've explained since my first incarnation. So, um, yeah, so that's how we eventually have been able to project to people... A picture of us, even though at the time we weren't of that age in our physical form, yeah. because we can in this in this soul-based state be, be able to project a, a picture of us at any location in our development. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that means then that myself and Mary actually can connect to more than one body now. Um, so. There is a body that we use in the spirit world um, and these bodies are the ones we're using in this material world. Now, the problem that we have, myself and Mary, is that our (coughs) spirit body's mind, unlike your own, so this mind here of both of us, that's the real mind of of the spirit form. That's not the same as the soul, by the way. So there's this whole false teachings on earth that the mind is the soul and all that kind of stuff. But we can answer those questions as we go. But the truth is that the spirit body has a mind and the spirit body's mind is where all of the information you store in an intellectual sense gets stored as you go through your life. Does that make sense? So as you go through your life, you're receiving this bombardment of information, pictures, voices, memories, experiences... All of those things are entering you through this physical form, entering your sight, entering your senses, your other senses, and they go into the mind of your spirit body 
and even go further than that actually, they go through this golden cord into the soul-based memory of your experience. So every single one of you has a complete memory of every single thing you have ever experienced in your soul. The only reason why you can't remember it or recall it is because of emotional impacts based on your upbringing and so forth that are affecting the ability of your mind and your brain to recall the information. So this is why a person who has something like um, uh, a stroke can learn, can go through a period where they can't remember much at all and then a part of their brain starts to assimilate that same information that was still obviously stored somewhere and then they begin to function but it's another area of the brain that drives that function because the original area of the brain has died. So this is how like a person can recover facilities after a stroke. The stroke destroys a part of the brain that destroys the remembrance of the function but the real memory of the function is actually stored somewhere else, not in the physical body but actually in the, material, in, the, in the spirit body. And as a result of that, when it can actually affect the brain's recovery and then that information that was still there <laughs> grows uh, inside the person. Who's lost? Is anyone lost yet? No? That's good. That's good. It's all fascinating. It's lots stuff, of right? information so, coming at so, you. So here I am. Um, the, the issue with your own memory is this. You cannot remember everything that's happened in your soul from your very first incarnation because of the limitations of emotions that are imposing their limitations upon your brain and upon your, the mind of your spirit body and in fact upon all of the organs of your body as well. Once you clear them all, which you can do by the way, you can actually remember absolutely everything you've ever experienced. Now, for some people, the problem with that is they'd rather forget most of the things they've actually experienced. <laughs> and can you see? Because we'd rather forget them, we finish up forgetting them as a result. Who's had the experience now where they're starting... Maybe they've been uh, dabbling with the divine truth a bit and they're starting to open up to feeling some more emotions about their childhood. And suddenly, all these memories that weren't there before have suddenly appeared. Has that happened for anyone? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah heaps, yeah. yep. Yep. And it will happen as you progress. It's our desire to suppress the emotions associated with the memories that stop us actually remembering. So once we start to open to that experience more, the memories come. And as we clear those emotions, the more and more we clear, the more and more of a complete memory of our life we have. And by the time we're at one with God, there's no emotional injury or resistance to emotion in us. So we remember everything. Yep. Yeah. So the problem for myself and Mary, as I was saying right at the beginning, <laughs> is that uh, the reason why we still don't remember absolutely everything of our life, because there's still gaps in our memories, um, for myself less so than for Mary, uh, but um, myself less so than for Mary, that's yes, correct. Yes, that's right. And, <laughs> but there's still gaps in our memories, So, and as we work our way through different emotions, eventually all of the memories return. So, so I have memories of my first century life and I have memories of much of my life in, my, in the spirit world. I have a memory of the process of actually reincarnating, actually what it felt like and all of the processes involved. 
and a memory of my most of my life in this life. In fact, I have a lot more trouble remembering things from this life still <laughs> than I do from all of those other things. But it is all one existence. It's not a sort of a, a going up, come back, come, up, come back like that for us, but just one existence where my first memories are in myself right now are memories of my life in the first century from the age of around one and a half, two years of age. And then my memories go through all of my life, like for 2,000 years though. So you're passing and then the spirit world and the soul union state and the reincarnation. The state, the reincarnation process, the emotions involved with all of that and the process through this life again. Um, Does that make sense? So it's not just a simple matter of going, oh, I'm Jesus and, uh, you know, it's, it's all these emotions that had to be absorbed through this process of remembering everything that I can remember up to this point. And by the way, my memory I still feel is quite limited in comparison what I, to what I will remember very shortly, in fact. Mm. So. But this is also, through that process, comes then the memory of God's truths, which is what we're attempting to share with you. Yeah. So it's through that process of emotional... Uh, um, connecting to the emotions associated with the memories, and that's why for myself I have less memory, although it's increasing all the time, but that's because of the resistance I have to the pain of the emotions and the experience of feeling quite crazy sometimes, the feeling like I have memories of something that I know didn't happen in the last 32 years um, and they're quite emotionally raw, but when I submit to those emotions, then I also feel like I have to let go of who I am, who I am in this incarnation, Mary Luck, and that can be psychologically quite distressing sometimes. So often shut down that, which then shuts down my knowledge of the truth and uh, shuts down my ability to remember everything really fluidly. So that's a process that I'm going through, yeah. So Mary and I actually felt the best way for mankind to understand the truth rather than theorising about truth, which is what we spend a lot of our life doing. Let's face it, most of us have spent, you know, you think about your life, a lot of it's been following a certain theory. Uh, yeah, no, that's got a lot of things that it doesn't answer about this and so you then follow another theory and, oh, no, that's got another you know, set of things that you don't understand. And then follow another theory. And we, we sort of wander from theory to theory, don't we? And it, somewhere life. in the process often we go, well, there's many truths. There can't be one because I can't find anyone. So there must be many of them. So then emotionally we construct all of these things. That are the, the, the many truths emotion, for example, helps us to avoid our distress at not finding the truth. Does that make sense? Because we, if we have a viewpoint that there's many truths, then we can avoid the, the sadness that we haven't discovered the truth even though we've been looking for it all of our lives and so forth. So, so what we felt, and what uh, obviously this was a part of God's structure, is that we felt that coming back to earth and actually going through the experience and, and also telling you what we've experienced can actually help a lot of people then discover the truth in a more definite and experiential way than what has been done in the past. So, so instead of postulating theories with you, uh, you will find that when you ask me a question that I can't either remember or I don't know the answer to, I would just say, look, I've got no idea because I've not yet discovered that yet. In fact, a few weeks ago, a child asked me a question 
and she asked me, um, she was only probably, how old would she have been, six or seven? Yep. And she, she asked me, who created God? And I've got no idea. <laughs> I know God exists because I've connected to God personally and, and, and feel God's personality and received a lot of love from God and all of those things. But I have yet to discover the true nature of God, let alone discover how God got to be. Does that make sense? So, so you can ask me that question, but my answer is just I've got no idea. And that's the end. That's all I can say. Um, there are other questions which I can give you very, very clear and detailed answers for because we have personally experienced those things, if that makes sense to you. There's a question over here too, further along. I just wanted to ask you, if you were in that sphere when you came again, mm -hmm. did you drop back to the first sphere? Uh, we began to absorb all of the emotional experiences of the dimension into which you're, into which you're incarnating. And because the dimension, this, this earthly dimension, is, uh, is in the first dimension, we are going to absorb all of those emotions again and we have to then work through them all again. So it's... Am I? Yeah. So it's like with the memories. So from that space, we have all of the memories of our entire existence and we're carrying them within us and they're fine some of them were quite horrible when they happened but we've healed all of the emotions just as you will be when you're at one with God and we can just remember them without an emotion involved when we when we reincarnate or incarnate again into a set of parents who have a lot of emotional injuries which everyone on the planet does at the moment um, regardless of where they are they're not at one with God so there's emotional injuries there and when you reincarnate into a mother who has fear and anger and all of these things and a father who has similar set of emotions then all of those memories are remembered by this new little person through those injuries and that's why we have all this distress now re-remembering if you like. So yeah. the reality is my own torture uh, to death in the first century in the first century, I did not feel very much pain at all in that whole process. However, going through the memory of it in this life has actually been worse for me emotionally than actually the experience was in the first life. Does that make sense? And Mary was tortured to death in her first life as well. So she's got all of these memories inside of her. That, that, and, but for Mary, it was a different experience because she wasn't at one with God. She had a lot more pain associated with those first century experiences and now she's got the additional pain of having to go through them again as a memory um, but, but through the filters of, the, of our environmental, mostly our parents of course emotions. And did you know that's going to happen to you? Yeah, yeah. In fact that's what we um, wanted to do in order to show people how to work through emotions. Yeah. Yeah. We only had a number of different choices in terms of coming back to the earth. One choice was to actually materialise a body. In other words, not go through the process of being born, but rather materialise a form, very similar to how I materialised a form after I passed. You know, when I reappeared to people after I passed, I materialised a number of different forms. And uh, we could have actually returned to earth by materialising a form. Does that make sense? Um, but the problem with that is that we would have appeared on Earth in this materialised form, very different from the people you now see in front of you, 
And in fact, uh, we'd have no injuries at all. We'd remember everything. We'd recall all of these different things that we still are, uh, are struggling to recall because of the emotions involved. And imagine what that would be like for you. All of a sudden, somebody comes back and says, oh, by the way, we're Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And our bodies are totally different in terms of what... And what we can do is totally different than the average person. Um, and then you would have asked things like, well, how do I become you? Or would you have even believed that you would have been able to become, like, go through the same things we've gone through? You know, people already believe I'm God, let's face it. Imagine what it would be like if Mary and I returned in a completely perfected state without showing people the development, how much more people would still believe that we're God. Do you know what I mean? Instead of believing the truth, which is that we're just children of God, just like you are, we're... And that it's something attainable to everyone rather than just to a select group. of. So the problem with choosing to come back in a different way than we have would have been that it would have falsified, it it would have made everything seem even less obtainable than than, uh, what it already seemed to most people on earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I've just got two questions, just one related to that. So when you came back, would you say that you lost your at-one-ment with God? Or It's impossible, once you've received divine love, it's impossible to lose the actual condition of love that you've already received from God. However, it's like getting a pristine window, if you like, or a pristine piece of glass... And when you come to earth, it's like getting a whole heap of children with a heap of mud, throwing the mud at the glass. And a lot of it does stick onto the glass. So while the glass itself is still completely transparent, you can see right through it, and it's, it, you know, it, it's still in its pristine shape underneath, because you've now got all this mud plastered on the glass, it's now impossible to see through it. And that's a bit like what it's like for us in the sense that the, the process, and we knew it would be like this, that the process of coming back to earth would actually attract all of these emotional injuries as a result through our environment, which would be like covering over our true selves with mud, and then we'd have to go through the process of washing it all off. Does that make sense? And so, that's what we're yeah. doing. What it feels like to me is through this process of, of reincarnation, like my soul still existing there in this perfect connection with my soulmate, which is in perf- like a very perfected connection with God. And it, but through this process, there's like these new spirit and material bodies created that were, if you like, Mary Luck. So they're not Mary Magdalene. That Mary Magdalene's here. And all of the injuries that I... Um, were imposed upon me and then imposed upon the memories created all these big blocks in my connection to that true my true self if you like how I truly exist and that's why every time I deal with something emotionally it becomes clearer and I feel well, I feel God more and I feel myself more yep so that that's where we've all come from we've all got that pristine Um, The difference is uh, every single person who's not reincarnated, and to be honest with you as an audience, there is not a single one of you that have been reincarnated yet. That doesn't mean that in the future you will not be reincarnated. It just means at the moment you're in your first incarnation. Because you're in your first incarnation, you're in this pristine condition here, but not aware of it. 
Whereas and where we came from, we were actually aware. Does that make sense? Yep. That's the only difference. Yep. And no, there's a big difference. Oh. This one, this pristine, is not in connection with God. It, it, it's loved it fully by God, but it's not using its will at that moment to connect with God. Because it doesn't have. It doesn't will. understand its free will yet. Yeah. Mm. So this it's whole only... process of coming down is about understanding my unique nature, my ability to express my or um, use my free will in connection with others and in, and myself, but in connection with God. Okay. Yeah. And just another question relating to your when you spoke about the spirit body and the memory in the spirit body, mm-hmm. if you had, you know, a, had a stroke or a really bad physical injury, mm-hmm. then is it possible to heal that fully mm-hmm. by the releasing and clearing and feeling of your emotion? Yes. So it's possible to actually clear every single ailment and including old age fully through the process of working your way through emotions and receiving divine love. When so, I say including old age, I mean that once you become at one with God, you will never need to grow old. You don't actually, your body, in, in the spirit world, the bodies of all the spirits grow younger, not older. Because as they progress in love, their, their lines on their face disappear and everything. So they arrive in the spirit world much the same as what we look like here on earth generally sometimes much worse, depending on how bad their life has been in terms of evil, their evil emotions. But once they arrive in the spirit world, they can still progress. And as they progress, every little bit of love they progress in, a line disappears, a wrinkle disappears, an ache disappears and so forth. And by the time they reach a one with God, they look around 23, 24, um, you know, everything's, everything, every ailment is, is removed. Yeah. So... I've just got another personal question. I've got um, really bad eyesight. Yep. And short or long sighted? Um, short sighted. Yep. So I wear contact lenses. Yep. And I feel like I've really connected with the incident of when it happened yep. um, when I was a child. And I haven't been able to connect with the emotion yet because I haven't been willing to. Mm-hmm. And I've actually booked in to have my eyes uh, a permanent lens implanted. Yep. And and you're concerned that if you have a permanent <laughs> implant and then fix it emotionally, that your eyesight <laughs> will actually get worse. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a bit of um, <laughs> a bit of a quandary about that. Yeah. My my. And pers- then I look at you and I think, how many you wear glasses? What hope have I got? <laughs> well, you've got a great deal of hope, honestly. Um, <laughs> Can I talk to you about my, my emotions related to my glasses? Okay. Um, my emotions related to my glasses are about accepting m- myself as I am, as I, as, I, as I am really are. So accepting myself as Jesus. Now, you don't have to accept your Jesus So for a start. So obviously that gets all of that emotions out of the way. That's pretty big emotions. Pretty, it's been a pretty difficult process for me to do that, and I'm still going through that process. I still feel quite... Um, What's the word? Um, Sometimes you feel apologetic. I feel apologetic uh, that people, that, you know, when I say to people that I'm, that I'm Jesus, uh, I can feel, of course, all of their doubts and, and all of their feelings about that. But I also almost feel apologetic too because I feel like, well, I'm not the person I used to be and so you're having to accept a much 
worse version of myself as calling himself Jesus. Do you, do you know what I mean? And I feel quite apologetic for that. So that's partly why my eyesight is uh, doing what it's doing. But also, um, I've got this whole series of emotions about the loss of my mother, God. Um, I, sorry, I was, I, was, I was connected. I've always been connected to my God as my father all through my first century life. And, and all through my spirit life, obviously, you connect to your mother and father as God. And so you have this really strong bond, if you like, between God and yourself, but, but between yourself and the masculine and yourself and the feminine side of God. And that's what it means to be at one with God. But coming to the earth again, and this is going to challenge many of you ladies, um, on earth there is no expression of divine femininity at the moment. And in fact, historically, there never has been. An expression of divine femininity. And so if we define divine femininity, that is femininity as God created it, perfected. So that happens when a woman becomes at one with God. So that hasn't happened on the earth yet. There's been one person at one with God on the earth in human history, and that was a man. And so there has been the experience of divine masculinity, if you like, in the emotional uh, makeup. Of, of us. On the planet. Yeah. So this is why many of you, when you think of God, you still think of dad or, or father rather than mother, is because there's, there is this uh, greater acceptance in humanity of God being your father, but very little acceptance in humanity of God being your mother. And, uh, and this is something we hope to change, obviously, uh, because once the first woman on the planet becomes at one with God, from that moment on you will see an expression of divine femininity on the earth for the very first time. Now, for me, um, I have huge emotions about the loss of my mother. Not my physical mother, but my, my mother, God, in the sense of reincarnating to, on earth was a very painful process for me, coming to terms with the loss of my soulmate for a start, but also then the loss because we could no longer feel a connection between each other. Because of all these injuries. In this bodies, I'm talking, while we're in this bodies. And also, I could no longer feel a connection between myself and the feminine side of God. I I retained a connection between myself and the masculine side of God because of the lesser injuries involved. But myself and the feminine side of God was almost like a complete break. And if you can imagine being loved completely, which is very hard to imagine on the earth, I know, uh, because none of us have really really experienced it in our first incarnation if you can imagine it being loved completely and then having that torn away from you and the grief associated with that that's how much i don't want to accept the loss of my my mother god and as a result it's causing me to close down my sight um, about my future i actually have a lot of grief still to feel about what my future is going to be like without my soulmate bond back and without my bond with the feminine side of God back. And as I go through that grief, which I've just started to do actually only a few months ago now, as I go start going through that grief, I'm finding my eyesight clears up and there are some days actually where I'll, I'll be crying and my eyesight goes just completely clear. Like where... You know everything right down to detail, which I've never had in this life. All of a sudden, I see all the detail, and then 
I'll be I'll, I'll be so surprised <laughs> that uh, I'll stop crying <laughs> usually, and uh, and then all of a sudden it all you know comes back to needing glasses again, and what I'm feeling is that that process will become longer and longer until I've cleared all of those emotions. So for yourself, the key is to look at what you don't want to see either about yourself or about your future. As you see, a lot of times we have huge amounts of grief associated with our potential future. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like, so, for example, if I've spent 20 years without a partner, let's say I'm 40 and I've spent 20 years without a partner, someone I loved dearly, maybe passed when I was in my 20s, or, or I had, a, had an affair when I was in my 20s that I really thought that was the one, and since then there's been that person went for some reason and, and, and I'll, all of a sudden I don't feel that connection with anyone else. You imagine the amount of grief associated with that about your future now. There's not only just grief about the present, but there's grief about what's my future going to be. I'm not going to ever be able to fall in love with anybody. I'm not going to ever have that relationship that I want back. And so because of the grief associated with that, uh, we start closing down our vision of or our desires and hopes and aspirations for the future, and that directly affects our short-sightedness. If we're long-sighted, it's very different. If we're long-sighted, we don't want to live in the now. So in other words, there's emotional experiences that are going on in our current life that we prefer to, to disconnect from. And as a result of that, our, we'll start getting long-sighted rather than short-sighted. Does that make sense? Everything's emotional. <laughs> Everything. Do you want to go to Teresa first? We got Teresa first. She said I end yep. up with him down. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Okay. Um, my question is about the, the souls and the soul dimension. Mm-hmm. That you were saying that the unincarnated, unincarnated souls are there and also those who've made the soul union state in yep. the same place. I was just wondering what, what impact the the re sorry the, the union unified souls reunified souls does it have would they have an impact on the unincarnated souls in the future or now and in the future they have an impact on everything in the universe actually um, and in fact uh, this is something that's very important to understand is that when you get to the unified soul state the what, what we'd call the soul union and um, from that moment on, it's like your, your soul goes supernova. <laughs> um, so, so prior to that point, you're like two halves operating independently to a degree. Do you understand? Like, so the, there's the masculine half operating almost... In the beginning, when we're right down in the lowest of the spheres, so if we draw the dimensions, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and so forth, uh, when we're down in the lowest, it's like... There's a complete separation between the male and the female, really, in terms of the two halves of the soul. The, when I say a complete separation, how many people on Earth view that men are from Mars and women are from <laughs> Venus? In other words, from two totally different planets, right? And that's how, in the first sphere, it is like. We are so disconnected from the other half of ourselves, actually. We're so disconnected from the masculine or feminine expression that it's like we're almost two separate beings, even though we are only a half of the soul. But as we progress in love, the beauty of progressing towards God is this. As you progress in love towards God, 
both of you are heading in that direction, you are obviously, by definition, coming together as well. You are getting closer to the other half of yourself. Because as we grow towards God, we're also growing towards how God created us, the unique character, personality and attributes. As the injury is removed, we become more and more the pristine creation that God created. And if the other half of us is doing the same thing, they're becoming more and more like us. We're becoming more and more similar. So we've got similar desires, similar passions, and we're both go- if we're both going for God, it, we're coming together quite powerfully. And importantly, we also don't have blockages towards the other gender. Right? So in other words, if we're a male, instead of feeling that males are superior and you know, all these things that a lot of men do feel on the planet, I no longer have all those things that are out of harmony with loving me. And if the woman feels that she should boss around the male because he... Because <laughs> otherwise he'll boss me around. Yeah, you know, yeah. And she feels that you know, she needs his security and all that. She won't feel like she needs his security anymore. I'll feel safe and strong in myself. I won't be needy and demanding or uh, bossy with the male. So immediately there's a more open connection between us. It's more authentic. We're being ourselves rather than having demands or expectations. Does that make sense? So instead of having addictive relationships with the opposite gender which is what most of the relationships on earth are actually, we lose our addictions with the opposite gender and it becomes into a pure state at the eighth dimension. So in the eighth dimension, when I say we're in a pure state now, there's only love between the two halves. They're not yet in a soul union state, but there's only love between the two halves and they are very close in comparison to what uh, closeness here is depicted on earth. But then as you progress even further and become at one with each other, it's like the intention, it's a very powerful state because it's like the intentions merge completely. And it's like you become one person in two bodies. Right? Where, where like if you ask me a question and you ask Mary a question, you might, you, when you ask Mary the question, you'll get a feminine flavour of the answer. And when you ask me the question, you'll get the masculine flavour, but it'll be the same answer. Does that make sense? So eventually when you become at one with each other, that's what it's like. So it's like a merging of the two's intentions, desires and everything that can, concludes. Now when you think about it on earth, there's huge impediments to that, isn't there? Like most, most men feel, you know, they don't want to be connected to their woman too much. There's a lot of, there's a lot of historically, there's a lot of uh, emotions in men of like... Um, Feeling, feeling like they are the dominant gender, feeling like they should be able to control their family. There's even that, things in the Bible that state, you know, the man must be head of his household and so forth, which, which tend to suggest all of these things as being true. And then on the feminine side, there's also a lot of injuries too, historically, regarding what they feel about the male and what they feel about themselves, right? On the feminine side. So there's so much separation that you can't, it's sort of like you're trying to have a relationship through all of this fog, you know? <laughs> and in reality, the main way that relationships happen here on earth is by me saying, okay, if you give me security, I'll give you sex, <laughs> to put it very crudely. Or, you know, uh, you want something from me, so you want to feel good about yourself as a man. I'll give you a lot of those feelings as long as you make me feel something about me. So you make me feel like I've got a purpose and I'm important in your life and then I'll make you feel like you're a good guy. Now, in the reality, that's not love because love doesn't make a demand. 
for something in return. So if I really loved, I would feel this is an amazing man and he doesn't have to do anything. He might not even want me, but I still love him and I'll still keep my heart open to him. Now, that's pretty uh, radical in this sphere that we live in. Most of us are like, well, I'll give you my heart, but I'm only if you but give, you've me got to give me yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot of couples hang in there going, are you giving yours? Or am I giving mine? And they sort of stay at this distance for a long time because they're afraid of being hurt. You also see couples often uh, like one part, party moves towards the other and the other party gets scared and so they move apart. And then the other part feels like they've been rejected, so they move away. And then the other part feels like, oh, oh, now I'm not getting the same feelings I had from him before. <laughs> I miss so them. so yeah. then she chases him. You know what I mean? And you often see this dance occurring. <laughs> right? But no one's ever really getting that's on. Scary. You know, like, yep. <laughs> because it, we're sort of going in this sort of dance, if you like, as a, a, between the genders. And, and in fact, a fair majority of all of our sadness is related to our relationships, if you think about it. And yet, if we were in a complete state of love, there would never be any sadness in any relationship at all. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we have had sadness in relationships t- tells us personally that we are not yet perfected in love because we, we would be able to actually be completely happy in relationships in that point. So every time I feel sad now, and I never felt sad in the first century, so sadness is a very unique experience for me in this life. And whenever I feel sad now, the first thing I tell myself is, okay, there's something I don't get about love. Not that they don't get, that I don't get about love. Because if I actually understood love completely, I would never be sad, ever. So the more sad I am, the less I'm understanding about love. And do I want to understand more about love and be happy? Well, for myself, yes, certainly. I have a memory of where we used to be. And so um, that reminds me of that movie. You know the movie The Way We Were? Many of you might have seen that. Yeah? Um, Yeah, an old movie. We just saw it the other night. But that's, that's how it feels like to me. I remember how we used to be and I definitely want to have that back um, and that kind of a relationship back. And that kind of relationship was no pain whatsoever. There was no sadness. There was no pain at all in that relationship. But when we embark on this quest for that kind of love, the truth is we're going to feel pain because at the moment we're carrying a lot of injuries about what love is that come from our parents really, and the environment that we grew up in, like from in this earth plane that we live in, there's a lot of injury that says, no, if I give the man that thing and he gives me that feeling, then that is love. If we're both happy all the time, we're in love. And the truth might be something very different because if I stop giving the man something, he might get angry, which shows he didn't really love me. Because he, he wouldn't l- get angry if he loved. Does, Does that, that make sense? Makes sense, yeah. yeah. So in going through this process, it's going to feel painful because I have to give up my addiction to the man giving me the thing, giving me whatever the emotion is. I'll go, okay, I can see that if I'm demanding from him, I'm not loving him. Love doesn't make a demand. So that means I'm going to have to give up getting that feeling from him. I really like that feeling and I like demanding it. And um, so I'm going to have to cry about the fact that I, that I can't get it 
And for most of us, that will then take us back to a time in our childhood with our dad where we didn't get love, where we didn't feel loved and accepted. And so now we want to demand it from every man around us. If we're humble to those feelings that existed in the relationship with our dad, we'll release that pain and then we'll come to have a more pure understanding of what is loving. And we'll be closer to this personality. Because if you think about it, my demand on the man, that's not, God didn't create that. That was created when I didn't get love from dad and now I feel like I don't want to feel the pain of that, so I'm going to demand from, from every man. That's, God didn't create that as part of my personality. So when I let go of it, oh, here's my real personality starting to emerge. Hmm. Does that make sense? And as we grow, our real personality blossoms and uh, you become more and more of yourself, more and more of what God created you to be. You see, like I feel though for many, this, our perspective of God is, is pretty severely distorted on the planet, if you think about it. Many don't believe in God for a start and I understand completely why many don't because there is very little truth on the planet and very little love on the planet to, de- to demonstrate that actually God exists and that God is loving. And we often see all of these unloving things happening and we go, well, if God created it, then God made a huge mess or God doesn't care. So we often have these viewpoints of God, which are actually not true in my experience. But, But secondly, we also have these other distorted opinions of God that have been introduced through philosophy. Things like God is just an energy, for example. So many of us have come to believe that God is just an energy field or a universal energy field or something like that. And my experience of God is completely different to that as well. Um, And I I definitely do not feel that is the truth about God. God has energy, but God is not energy. Do, Do you see the difference? Like, I have energy, but I also have a lot of other things beside energy. I have an experience, I have memories, I have emotions, I have feelings. I have... Now, some of those are energies, but some of them are more intangible than that, aren't they? Like, I have memories. Now, they are, obviously have some energetic form, but, uh, but why do I have a unique experience, one that you don't have? And why do you have a unique experience, one that I don't have? How, how is it that we have a separate identity? I don't, as I was saying to a group during the week, I don't walk past you or I don't walk past Mary and then all of a sudden I have Mary's breast on me because like I've absorbed some of her body's energy and all of a sudden all of the, the bit of her energy that's attracted to her breast now became attracted to me. That doesn't happen. I don't lose myself in a physical sense and why is it then that I would actually theorise that I'd have a loss of myself in an emotional sense? It wouldn't make any sense, does it? I feel the way God's created us and something I've learnt throughout my existence is God created us to experience the universe to learn about God. And the more of the universe I experience, the more I learn about God and the more I realise that God's teaching me through the universe. Like if you, if you were a parent and you were giving your child complete free will, not, not bossiness, you know, not trying to protect them, none of that. But you're giving your child, right from the time they were born, complete free will. They could do anything they wanted, which is what God's given us. The ability to do anything we want. Good or bad, what we define as good or bad, what we define as evil or, 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 or you know, pure in, in our desires. Now, if you gave somebody the ability to do that, 
wouldn't you also at the same time want them to give the ability to discover you through their free will, through the use of their free will? And that's what God has done for us. God has given us this ability to grow towards God and start to discover a lot more about God. Just behind you. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Phil. Sorry, Phil. Just a question regarding soulmates. Um, can there be a age difference? Because, um, well, we, th- we think we are. And obviously I'm older, so no, I was unless born. you were born on the same day, yeah. that's it. Yeah, exactly, that's fine. No, no. <laughs> of course there will be an age difference. The way the soul incarnates in, in its first state um, is, very, is very different to its, that we call it our reincarnated state or our second incarnation. In the first incarnation state, the soul itself doesn't have control over when it incarnates. Right? So what happens is there's a mathematical process that God's designed for the incarnation of souls. There are literally still billions of souls waiting for an incarnation state that have yet to incarnate. Still sitting in this, in this soul union state but totally unconscious of their own existence. They are completely happy and so they can remain in that state for long periods of time, th- hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions, without even knowing that they're in that state. So, so they stay in that state, created just... God still loves them, so they're still receiving love even though they're not conscious of that fact. So what happens is that they incarnate. What happens usually is the most dominant part of the soul incarnates first. And when I say the most dominant part, what I mean is the most risk, the highest risk-taker part of the soul. Remember, it's one soul. So you've got one soul... Right, and it's splitting into two, and one part of that soul will have a characteristic that's more risky than the other part of the soul. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter whether they're male, female, 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 male, male, split, one part will be more dominant. That, that part that's dominant in terms of risk-taking will incarnate first. And the way it incarnates is that it, it feels the attraction from the parents. In other words, the parents attract the child through the parents getting together sexually. Attracts the child. And it's right? based, isn't it, on the parents? It's based on the parents' attraction. emotions, actually, as to what child the parent will actually attract. Do you follow me? Yep. Totally the opposite of what people who teach you about reincarnation actually would teach you normally. <coughs> It's the parents' emotions that dominate the process uh, of the incarnation process. So the first part of the soul, in my case, in our case in the first century, I was that higher risk taker, if you like. Mary, as she would freely admit, is definitely a less of a risk taker than I am. So that, that's a part of my part of the soul, and so I incarnated first. Now, in the first century, there was about a six-year difference between my incarnation and Mary's. What happens is the second part of the soul hovers around the first part of the soul that is now incarnated, waiting for an opportunity to be attracted to the right kind of parents, through, remember, that's the parents' emotions and everything, that will actually allow that child to confront the parents' emotions the most, actually. It's all about confrontation from God's perspective. It's all about confrontation of the parents who are in injury. The error of the parents. The error of the parents. So, so what happens is the second child incarnates, the second half of the soul incarnates, 
and there might be up to 20 or even 30 years difference between those two incarnations. Early, right back in early human history, there were sometimes up to 100 years before in, between incarnations, but that was when men, men lived 1,000 years. So there was a time in history, in our history, where <clears throat> people lived 1,000 years long. So 100 years still was, in terms of a proportion, a fairly slight proportion of the total lifespan. Thank you. All right. We didn't... <coughs> I was just thinking back to Teresa's question, babe. Teresa's, yes. Yeah, which was about the impact of having souls in a soul union state on the un... Oh, yeah. Incarnated souls. Right. Sorry, yeah. Teresa, we, need we to got... to explain a lot of that, actually. Digressed. <laughs> that happens. The impact is huge. Because remember, this soul is now not only in an one-minute state with God, but in an one-minute statement with itself. In other words, it's now a completely recombined soul. And it has all of its desires and passions and longings fully known to itself. Because remember, on this, these unincarnated souls, they're loved perfectly by God and they have all these characters, personality, attributes that's very unique, but they know nothing of it. They haven't experienced their own will. They haven't experienced their own desires. It's only through this process that God has designed for us to experience those things that we become fully conscious and fully embody those desires mm. if we long for God in the process. So this, the difference between the two is quite large in terms of the um, self... What do you call that? Knowledge. Self-awareness yep. and, uh, is, is for a start. But remember... These have not received divine love either. Yep. And they are not conscious of that fact because to receive divine love, you need to be in a state where you're conscious that you want to receive it. God doesn't give you love without you desiring it first because to do so would be breaking your free will. Right? So this is the thing we must understand about God's love. is God, And in fact, we need to understand it even about our own love. When you try to give somebody else love when they don't want it, how does it feel? It feels pretty bad, doesn't it? Because they don't receive it, do they? And that's because you're already breaking a rule of love. See, whenever we break a law of love, we will have pain. Whenever we're trying to give love to somebody who does not want our love, we are automatically breaking a law of love. Right? Interesting. We can feel love for them inside of ourselves, but actually forcing them to receive it is something we cannot do. As soon as I attempt to force them to receive it, I am going to break a law of love and I will have pain as a result. And in actual fact, it's impossible. If, I, if my heart is closed to AJ and he's giving me love, it's not going to enter me. It's not going to enter. It's the longing for his love that opens my heart and helps me receive it. And it's the same dynamic, same dynamic between God, God and ourselves. When we, God's created this system where you will not receive her love until you actually want it. As soon as you want it, you will get it instantly. Now, you'll get it to the point that your soul actually desires it. So, you know, when we say, oh, but I, most of us go, then go, but I want God's love all the time and I'm not receiving it all the time. I'm sorry, but the reality is if you're not receiving it all the time, you don't want it all the time. Simple as that. Because everything God has created, God does as soon as the pure desire is present. So 
So there must be an impure desire present if I'm not receiving the love that God wants to give. Yeah. Does that make sense? And very often, for like I can think of for myself, for me to receive God's love, I have to long for it, I have to open my heart, I have to be in a humble space myself. Often, I want God's love, but I actually want to hold on to my resistance to my grief about my mum a lot more. So do I really want God's love? If I really wanted God's love, I would open to that experience. Yeah. So very often we go, yeah, I want God's love, but actually I, I want to I resist something else more. And so that prevents God from being able to act. Yeah. The way God's constructed it as well is from the first dimension to the seventh dimension, every time you long for her love, you will definitely cry. <laughs> and receive it. You mean. And receive it. You yeah. will definitely cry. Because the receiving of it means your heart is open to all of your other emotions. And there is some sadness in there still, otherwise we'd already be happy completely. And as a result of that, we're definitely going to cry. Now, if I've got a lot of resistance to crying, it's sort of like longing for God's love, but don't make me cry, <laughs> is really what I'm saying to God, right? Don't make me cry. And as a result of that, I'm not going to be able to receive God's love to the point of completion. I'll receive some to the point of how much I'm willing to cry. So if I'm willing to cry for five minutes... Or have a little trickle. Then I'll have a little trickle come yeah. in. Right? And that'll, I'll work my way through something and so forth. But, but in the end of the day, until we're at one with God, we have sadness in us that we need to release. We have areas of ourselves that are yet to be perfected in love. And we have pain. And as a result of that, we need to be prepared to experience that pain as a part of the process. In other words, we need to prepare, be prepared to be real with God, right? Instead of faking it. Uh, faking it does not make it with God. <laughs> Remember that. Faking it does not make it. And so what happens for this soul here is this soul has received this divine love through the longing. So this, and to the point of not only at one moment with God, but now to the point of at one moment with itself. So it's now recombined itself the two halves as well it's now fully conscious of the fact the power of that is unimaginable if you if if you could see them if you could imagine the brightness of the galaxy not remember the galaxy is made up or our galaxy is made up of what about a hundred million stars if you compared the brightness of the galaxy with the brightness of that individual of that soul that soul will be brighter that's how much power comes out of it in that state now of course that's going to affect every single being in that universe that it's connected to so even these souls who are not conscious of themselves how does that oh, this is a question for me as well how yeah. does that affect what, their how experience? it affects it is that the energy that or the, the brightness or love is still going towards those souls just as it is going to any soul on the earth or any person who's already incarnated and by the way not only already incarnated on this earth but also incarnated on other earths this this soul now is able to connect to do you follow yeah <coughs> if we can use a mic if we can pass my back so i guess that the emotion behind that is, is that everything's getting better because of all the all the unified souls again, it's going to make it better for everybody and easier and, and yep. we're never going to go back to where we were. No, it's impossible to go back to where we were actually. Because yeah. yep. this resistance between two halves of the soul has been completely broken down once a soul reaches there. 
So once myself and Mary reached that uh, position in the, in the first instance and then other souls reached the same condition, once we reached that, that automatically broke down all resistance to that happening again. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And now it's breaking it down even further by us being present on the planet as well and others being present on the planet. It's breaking it down on the planet as well. This is why many of you are going through much turmoil and upheaval in your relationships. Right? Some, you'll now notice that there's more than ever in the Western world in particular, there is more people who are single right? than ever before. And the reason why this is the case is because not many of us can tolerate each other very much in a real state yet. And because, because we're yet to tolerate the male and female differences. We're yet to love them, right? But the beauty of this progression is that by the time we reach at one moment with God, we're already in a very, very powerful state. A person on earth reaching at one moment with God definitely changes the world and its direction. This is what happened in the first century in my life. The only reason why my life sort of changed the direction of things on the planet to a degree was because of the at-one-ment state I was in with God. It had nothing to do with me, personally. It's everything to do with God's love coming through the person and what that does in terms of the direction of every single other person. It affects every single person somehow. And the more people that do that, the more of you that do that now, and you think about it, there's more and more divine truth now going on the earth than ever before, not only because there's people on earth who have personally experienced it, but also because there's many celestial spirits now who weren't there in the first century when I was on earth. I was the first person to enter the celestial realms, the eighth dimension and beyond, and it was only after I entered it that other people entered it. And as a result of that, in the first century, there was very little positive influence on the planet with regard to truth. Over 2,000 years, there's now literally billions of spirits in an at-one-minute condition with God in the spirit world. Every one of those has an effect on the earth. Every one of them usually comes to visit the earth. Many of them are already your guides, in fact, your, your people who guide you spiritually. And they all have an effect on what happens from now on. So the, 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 there is a, almost, there's a, almost a physical impossibility now for mankind to regress. Right? Now, when I say that, the times, of change, the, the times of change coming up now, from now over the next few years in particular, are going to be the result of the confrontation between the error that we're in as a planet, as people on the planet, and the truth that's now coming to it from God. Do you follow? And there is always a confrontation between truth and error. The reason why is because truth doesn't budge. In other words, truth is always fixed and firm, it can't budge, and error wants to attack the truth at all occasions. So for that reason, anybody who's in a state of truth will start getting attacked in some way by others who want to retain error. Right? And this is why sometimes it feels like you're under a pressure and oppression. Many of you who are wanting to get your life into more happiness and into more love are feeling under pressure and under, under oppression, and it's because you are. Because truth itself will be attacked by error at some point. So as we progress, in this, in, and we can do this on earth, all of, all of us can do this, progress. As we progress, the initial point is that as we progress to a new condition of truth, anybody who is not in that condition of truth will attack that. They're not going to just go, sit down and go, yeah, yeah, all this sounds real good. 
Some will, but the majority of people have a lot of emotions to give up about, you know, their unloving behaviour. Well, Let's if, if you give the analogy, um, if yep. I'm a woman, and I, I am a woman. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I am, believe it or not. Um, and I say, okay, I'm going to break down this... These, there's a lot of resistance between men and women connecting on the planet. I'm going to step towards this man. Now, lots of other women, and I experience this, lots of other women have a lot of addictions with other women. Now, the tr- I'm stepping into truth. I desire to become more as God created me, which is a part of one soul. So I'm trying to work through these barriers that exist between me and connection with the masculine. Now, the truth is for a lot of women... A lot of us have all those barriers and we like to hang out together and make us, each other feel okay about those barriers. In fact, a lot of women get together and talk about their men to try and feel better and avoid what's, what's there blocking them. So when I step towards a man, I'm stepping more into truth, but the error that exists around me, it might not be outright attack, but I feel this feeling of inertia. There's all this feeling of women saying, oh... You, you know, this like their you're, error is you're being betraying the feminine, yes. feminine cause now. Yes, <laughs> you don't want to sit with us. You want to go and be with him, or you don't, you don't want to just talk to women at the table, men at the table. You want all of us to have a discussion. It feels a bit uncomfortable, and a lot of women don't like that. And so I receive the projection of, "Hey, get back to our team," and, and that's and a lot the truth confronting like the error. Yes, and a lot well, of men like, don't. So, so for example, that would, that would eventually mean the man cooking and washing up the dishes. <laughs> you know, how many men are still pretty resistive to that? You know, how many men don't even know how to cook at all at this point? Like, because we've been so used to being looked after by you know mum and then by our wife. We, we don't, we, so we then resist it as well. So you, you end up with a group of women resisting the joining. You end up with a group of men resisting the joining. And there's a truth error confrontation. So the more I step into that place, the error of the men and women resisting, that's what I'm feeling You'll as feel the attack more. and the confrontation. Yeah. It's pulling, trying to pull me back to the, where everyone else exists. Yep. So um, the, the truth is that every time we try to progress positively there will be, initially, this inertia of the people who don't want to progress yet. Right? Now, now, eventually, it only requires around 1% of any population for the, that inertia to be overcome. Right? This is why all of a sudden you'll, hear, you, you'll see things happening, things happening very quietly all around the earth, things happening. And then, very, then all of a sudden one movement that was world-renowned within like a few hours sometimes on the internet um, when before it existed in silence because the inertia it got past the point of inertia and once it gets past the point of inertia now everybody has a chance to understand it and experience it and that's the way God has made most of her plans actually to be exactly the same as that and you know, to enable us to grow Oh, uh, Elvira we're, had sorry, question. we're at Elvira. We're, we're two or three people behind on the question. Yeah. <laughs> go, go ahead, Elvira. Um, I was going to ask a question about free will, but which was relevant at the time, but is it all right if I change my mind and ask a personal you question? You can always change your mind. That's what free will is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it might interfere with yours, though. <laughs> well, um, we, we're allowed to exercise I'm it in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've strived, like, since I became a mother to try and undo the damage, you know, generations of damage in my family. 
um, I failed miserably at it. And I've now sort of like, when I hear you talk now, I often feel very frustrated because I think of all the, the very loud signals my kids were giving me when they were little that I had no idea how to interpret them. Yeah. Um, now I'm in this position where I sort of feel frozen not knowing what to do because you've, you've given answers to other mothers or how arrogant are you, you've done the damage and now you want to help undo it. So I've sort of been sitting back trying to say <laughs> Why nothing. is that arrogant? To want to undo the damage? No, oh, no. I, no, I missed I've that. Sta- I've stated in the past that many mothers have imposed their will oh. on their children. They're saying to their children, so you let's change. put my yep. comment in context. Yes. Um, I've, I've said to mothers, when you impose upon your child that it has to now change because you've now received a new truth, you are really being quite arrogant because you actually created them to be how they currently yeah. are. Yeah. So how can you then receive a new truth and then tell them you've got to change? Right? Surely they must make the choice as to whether they want to change or not. Yeah, That's so I've been sort of frozen like... Because the boy, my sons don't want to know anything about the AJ stuff. Yep. So I've been saying nothing. But Good. saying nothing, <laughs> I'm still thinking it. So I'm so obviously you, probably So you're not saying it. nothing, are you? Yeah, so I'm not Your saying nothing. Your soul is saying, listen, listen, so, listen. Yeah, but, so <laughs> I've been, but I feel like, all right, well, that's not working, me projecting the stuff. No, so, in fact, it's going to make it worse, yeah. as you know. So the other day I thought, what, I'll, I'll, I'll change my approach again. Um, and I thought, well, I'll just say what I think and then they can do what they want with it. Yep. And it was quite interesting that the dynamic changed quite noticeably just in that... Of course. Because as soon as you say what you think, you are now projecting less at them. Yeah. Well, I just... That, that took me a long time to work out. Yep. Like everything does. Um, That's okay. It takes me a long time to work things out too. But now I'm in this situation where, like... I've had a lot of physical problems and... Both my boys have had the same. Um, I had my tonsils out when I was 23 and next month my oldest son is having his thyroid removed, Mm -hmm. um, which is in the thyroid area again and he's 22. Mm -hmm. And I sort of feel like, well, all right, the best way for me to help them is to deal with my stuff, Mm -hmm. but... What is that stuff so that I can get onto that stuff before I do the other stuff? <laughs> like, I sort of feel like, like he came into the world with a birthmark and he's just been bullied his whole life. And obviously, that's mine and my husband's stuff. And my youngest son came into the world having tantrums from the time he was born. And he's very mediumistic and I don't know. For a long time I blamed me and then I thought, well, hang on a minute, I've got a partner. Some of it might be him (laughs) and some of it might be that he's very mediumistic and it could be all our lunatic, you know, forebears. Um, So I'm just... I'm having a lot of trouble unravelling it and knowing, you know what's the most loving way to go about it because sometimes I think I'm being loving and then six months later I think, oh, oh my God, I wasn't. Yeah, so it's a very confused question. I know. What is the question? Uh, um, <laughs> I understand it. Okay, good. Oh, if you understand, good. 
And you want a blueprint of, of how you're best to go about your progression towards God. Yeah, I do. Yep. Rule book. You yep. want a rule book that says, actually, this thing's going to affect that son first, so I'll do that first. And then this thing will affect that son the next. So I think that's more important, so I'll do with that number two. And then, do you see? This is what you want. And that's called self-reliance. What does God want? Yeah, but I don't trust God, remember. Ah, yes. So, so what's the biggest thing the you biggest could thing? work on to help your kids right now? All right, well, then we need to go back to my God question. because. Yeah. So can we just answer that just briefly, firstly? So here I am, or here's Elvira. Her half of the soul, shall I... Her spirit body, obviously, is imposed over the top of that. And her half of the soul is there. Right? So there she is in her feminine half of the soul. It doesn't look like that, by the way, but we'll just draw it so that you've got an idea. And Elvira is trying to connect to God. Is she? I'm trying, but not succeeding. No, no. Is she? Is she connecting to is God? Is she trying? Or is she trying? Because what was the emotions that you had about God? I don't trust him. Don't trust, so don't trust. What else? Anything else? Do you feel God's cruel? Yes. God's oh, cruel. Creating this whole thing and then just shoving us in it, not telling us any rule book whatsoever. And then you know, everyone says the Bible's a rule book, so we get out the Bible and it. And I did all of that was in there and my life got worse. That doesn't work. So, you know, we sort of feel like God's being cruel. Any other feelings you have towards God? Well, what, what my question was, and it's related to this, is that, you know, you talk a lot about free will. Yeah. And to me, that's God's cop-out. Like, oh. um, I feel like, you know, you had the personality and attributes. So God's not taking responsibility? Yeah, because, like, he created that potential for evil in us and yep. then he gives us, sends us to this evil world. We're born to evil people. And then he says, oh, but you've got free will. <laughs> How much free will is in that? Yeah. Hardly any, is there? Okay. Very good questions, you see. Very good questions. All need to be answered, yes? And in fact, I can't work them out. Well, in fact, they're more important for you to answer than the question, what emotion affects my son? Do you see why? Can you see? It, it has all been going in my head. I keep thinking, well, why don't I let God take care of it? And I feel like, well... I can't trust God to take care no, of it. No, I don't trust him. I feel like the only person I've been able to trust is me. And have you so been if my sons are going to be you? safe, I have to do it. Have you been very good at trusting you? No. No, so you're not even good at that one. So where do we start? Yeah. So can you see that every time you focus on trying to solve an issue for your son, you are not actually trying to resolve the real issues inside of yourself that affect everything? Can you see that? Because can I just contrast it before you answer the question? What would happen if you didn't have these things and you were in connection with God? What would happen with your sons? Can you feel? I don't know. Well, what I feel would happen would be that you would long to God to deal with the issues that have affected your sons. You then would... they'd have to follow his stupid rules. 
to. Ah, like, yeah, see? So you don't want him to follow your stupid You want to really, fix it. You? You're the mama. I'm fixing it. Well, I feel like I've done all this damage because of all these stupid rules and... Ah, be very careful now. Yeah. That's not a truth. There's you some didn't do damage because it, of it God's It might not be the rules. truth, but it's how I feel. Like. I know it's how you feel, but it's not the truth. Do you, do you understand? There's a big difference between what we feel God is or what we feel to reality. The reality is God didn't create the world we have now in terms of the people that are on it. God, God created every single person to have the potential to have sons and daughters, but also to have to take responsibility for the creation of those sons and daughters. God also in the, originally created this pristine earth. And in fact, if you look at everything God has created on this planet, there's very little of it left even of what God has created because of man's emotions towards the planet. You, you, look, at how many, you look at how many trees there are left in a pristine environment. Like, there's just mountainous trees. Like, they're huge things, aren't they? You go to a place that has never been touched for 500 years. On the earth, it's very hard to find a place that has not been touched for 500 years. But if you go to that place, how pristine it feels. We all just feel like, ah, oh, this is beautiful energy here, beautiful feelings we get from here, right? How many places on the earth are there like that? Very, very few. So the problem is that you are judging God through, your, through what you see the world to be. And the problem is what the world has become is far removed from what God intended it to be. And it's only because of mankind's free will exercised in the opposite direction to love that the world has turned out the way it is currently. But didn't God know, like because of God's infinite and all-knowing, yeah. well, and he gave be... us that potential for evil, couldn't he also see that evil being played out? So, so you're basically saying that God gave us the potential for evil by giving us free will, so God made a mistake. Yeah. That's really what you're saying, isn't well, it? He would, well, he, could, he, he would have seen what was coming. What's the alternative to giving us free will? Well, less evil. No, no, Mm-mm. you never ask what the alternative is to free will. You see how you're judging it as evil or good, but actually you're not seeing the alternative to free will. What is the alternative to free will? Dictator. dictator is the alternative to free will. What's a dictator? What, what would a dictator do? Control. It's all to do with control. How many of you love being controlled? <laughs> Not very many. Into, once you, it feels once you, so good, doesn't once it? Once you know you're being controlled, it's very... <laughs> right? We don't love being controlled very much at all, do we? However, what you're proposing is God's having total control. But why control. did he give so much potential for evil? Because he created that. Like he could Elvira, have... Yeah. Mm. Can I answer something about... Because I feel um, God has created a universe full of potentialities. And part of that... So God's up there full of love and grandeur, in my opinion. And he has created this whole universe full of potential. And we're part of that potential. And we each have our own personal potential. Now, in the first century, someone exercised their desire so much that they became at one with God. And that created a whole new potential in our experience. And later on, we reached a 
state of at-one-ment with each other, and that created new potentials upon potentials within the universe. Now, what I'm saying about potential is that I know you're seeing the very negative side of potentiality. What I see is the beauty in potential. Because the truth is, before one person was at one with God on this planet, it only existed as a potentiality. And once somebody exercised their will, their free will, in harmony with love so much that they were able to express God's love on this planet, like that is an amazing gift that would not have ever arrived and an amazing new set of potentialities that were created for every other soul on the planet would never have arrived if we didn't have free will. So for me, the exercise of free will when it's truly free will, where you have the potentiality to uh, choose error and choose harm, but you can also choose love, the quality of that love is far more beautiful. It, it, like, it's indescribable. That is a very beautiful love. When we, ch- when we have the potentiality to go either way and we choose to go with love, it is like, and it's like faith to me, faith and love exercised in this way where there's no proof and there's no, perhaps even maybe no seemingly immediate reward. When we choose that, it is incredibly beautiful quality to those, to faith and to love. Um, so I see God's potentiality, the creation of potentiality and free will as a huge gift. And I know it hurts when we realise we've used it in another way. It's a lot of our grief is when we come to have that realisation in our soul that, well, I had the choice and I made an erroneous choice, one that wasn't loving. But the beauty and the grandeur of God allows us the potentiality to make a different choice, to use our will in a different way. And that also creates a really beautiful quality of love. When we have chosen an erroneous way, and it's hard to turn that boat around, it hurts. We have to recognise how much error we've been in. But if we can turn that boat around, I can tell you the quality of love that we have then is even more beautiful. But all that being the case... Um... <laughs> so is that a crap answer? No, no, it's very, very true. But, but all that being the case, um, the, the gift of free will is still not really understood on the planet. Like, at the moment, we sort of, we're, we're so good on the planet at exercising our free will in a negative direction that, that we've never really, as a, as a human race, explored the potentiality of exercising our free will collectively in a positive direction. We've, well, not only have we never been taught, we've never had the strong, a strong enough desire to do it. Because let's face it, the very first person who does it gets attacked by the rest. That's the truth-error confrontation. And we most of us about. don't like being attacked. Most of us would rather avoid it. So, so when you start to exercise your will in a positive direction, in a loving direction, and you're the very first person doing it, you are going to get attacked the most. Now, most of us don't want to do that. Most of us don't want to be attacked. We've been attacked a lot of our lives from all sorts of people in our lives. And so we avoid attack at all costs. We're willing to compromise the truth as much as we're able into, into avoiding attack. Let's face it. You think of how much of your life is spent avoiding the wrath of another. We avoid the wrath of the government by acceding to the taxation laws. Do we not? 
Most, do most of you want to have taxation? I, no, you say you've got to have it, but that's not true. I, I, can, I can think of like five different economic forms that you wouldn't need to have taxation. I can, in fact, I can think of more than five off the top of my head. So you don't have to have taxation. You've just been told, you've told yourself you have to have it. Now, now, why do we tell ourselves we have to have it? Because we've been told we have to have it. Why have we been told we have to have it? Because somebody wants to take control of our lives and so forth. But that's not the point of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is none of you really want it. And so why do you accede to it? Because of fear of being attacked. You know, do you know in Australia, actually, that there is no law allowing taxation in our constitution? There is actually no law allowing it. Right? Based from, I think it's 1913 or something like that, or 1908, or it was 1907. But if you read it, there is no law allowing taxation. And yet we've been taxed. Illegally, actually. Now, why do we see to it? Well, for most of us, we see to it not because we think that it's a good thing, but we see to it because we're afraid. We're afraid that if I don't pay my tax, how many of you are more afraid about getting in trouble with the tax office than anybody else? Uh, if you think about it, like I have been in my past, I know that. So, so because, because they have so much authority, got, there's so much that can be taken from us in that place. Your, your, your entire livelihood, your house and everything can all be taken from you if you do the wrong thing. And so what happens is the very first person who tries to do the right thing, the loving thing, the truthful thing, is going to automatically by, be attacked by the rest of society until somebody else in society goes, no, no, hang on a sec, he's right. right. And then you have two people who agree with each other. And then they have to endure the attack of the rest of society until the third person comes along and says, no, they're right. And the fourth, right, they're right. And the fifth and so forth. And can you see that there is so much, like, stuff going in the other direction, there's so much dead wood on our shoulders, basically, that it's going to take a lot of people to exercise their will in a positive direction before the world itself will change in a positive direction. Now, conversely, let's look at the opposite direction. How many people are following in a negative direction? Now, let's face it, it's happening around us all the time. Honestly, all the time. Now, many of us know what is good for our bodies, but do we eat it? No. How, how many times do we eat something different than what is good for our bodies? So, so you're there having a glass of wine and you're going, yeah, this wine tastes pretty good, you know, and it's just destroyed another million brain cells. All of you know this, do we not? All of us know this, pretty much in the Western world, that, that alcohol destroys brain cells. And we don't go, mm, do I want my brain cells destroyed? Actually, they don't grow back very well, actually, either, by the way. So do I want brain cells destroyed that don't grow back? Like, what do I want? And yet, how much is the desire for the taste and the feeling that it gives us in comparison with the love of our brain? Can you see the difference? Now, the first person comes along and says, it's killing your brain cells. And it's not loving for you to kill your own brain cells. Do you feel it's loving to kill your own brain cells? I don't know about you, but I don't feel it is. So they say it's not loving for you to kill your own brain cells. But you go, 
I don't give a stuff about my own brain cells. I've got enough of them to spare for my entire life. <laughs> I, I want to have the feeling. You see, it's the addiction to the negative emotion being suppressed, which is what alcohol does, isn't it? We, we, we usually drink because we're a bit unhappy about something or we're feeling stressed in particular. Stress is a big part of day-to-day -day life nowadays and we need something to help us relax. And we need something to help us relax so much that we're willing to kill off a few million brain cells to achieve it. We're willing to make the compromise. Now, when the first person stops making that compromise and tells the rest about that compromise being made, everyone else is going to go, what? I would rather have my drink than worry about the few billion brain cells that are getting destroyed through my entire life. There's many more of them to spare. So I go and drink some more and drink some more. And... And what finishes up happening, I might stay addicted to that all my life and eventually even die from the destruction of my brain cells, actually, at some point in the future. But I'm willing to do that because the emotion of how much stress I'm under and how sad my life is or whatever other emotions are present, I'm willing, I, I, I feel like I can't do anything about those. So, so instead I look for a way to calm it all down. Now that's using it in a negative, my will in a negative direction. That's using my will in a direction that is unloving to myself even, not even to somebody else, just even to myself. So I'm using my will in that direction. And what do we finish up having now? We have whole industries geared to people using their will in that direction, don't we? Uh, there's the wine industry, the beer industry, the... Right? There's the, what is it over in the US? They have the, the alcohol, tobacco and what's it called? The, there's a certain organisation and drugs. It's one of the most like, strong organisations in the US actually, um, which actually receives huge amounts of tax. In Australia, we, we even have this whole system now where you can actually drive past and while you're sitting in your car, you can order a whole gear, heap of gear that somebody brings you. You don't even have to get out of your car to actually do it now. Like back in the old days, you would have to, you know, squeeze the grapes, you know, or, or, or do something with the hops or the potatoes. But now you can just go to the, the, the shop and you can drive through. And overseas, they laugh at us here sometimes in Australia because that's very unusual to have a drive through. And here in Australia, we can drive through and pick up the brain cell disruptors <laughs> and put them in our car and go, thanks, mate. And we actually pay them money to give us that. That's how, that's how far down the opposite direction of love self we are, just in that one issue. And I'm, and I'm using a very like, basic issue there. We could choose a lot more harsher issues, of course. But can you see that if all of us used our... Um, will in another direction. We could actually create wine that didn't have alcohol in it, that didn't destroy our brain cells, that still tasted as good, and so forth. In fact, I have bought some that has no alcohol in it and tastes really, really good, actually. Um, so why isn't any of those made very much at all? Because we love the feeling that it gives us, the relaxation state, the feeling of being able to detune from our pain uh, using alcohol or even just detune from our stress. 
We love that feeling that it gives us, you see. And so we're used to going down, and this is the illustration I'm trying to give, is that we're used to going down. Sorry, even though it's taken a long time to get there. Um, we're used to using our will in a very unloving direction, almost in every area of our life. And then we say to God, stuff you, God, you created this system. And that is not actually taking personal responsibility for our own creations. See, God, in giving us this gift of free will, has given us, in fact, what I believe to be one of the, aside from divine love, the most important gift you will ever receive in your entire existence. In my life, it's been the source of all of my happiness, is the gift of free will. And, and in fact, it's the source of all happiness the gift of free will that's been given to you. And I feel that that gift, supreme, this is a supreme gift, is so important that, that we are willing on earth, we are willing to exercise it in a negative direction and then on top of that, blame God for the outcome of our will in a negative direction. In other words, we are willing to say to God that it's all your fault that I'm using my will in the direction the negative direction. And to do that, I feel, is a gross lack of personal responsibility. And in fact, one of the biggest problems I see on earth is how much very few of us want to take responsibility completely for every action we take. I see that as a major problem on earth, that we don't want to take responsibility for what we do. You know, many of us drive from here back down to Melbourne and because it's an easy trip like three and a half hours or so um, and yet you look at the rolling hills how much of the original forest is there? None. I never from the trip up to Aubrey I didn't see an original forest the entire trip three and a half hours. We are willing to use our will in a negative direction so much that we're willing to justify the rape of everything around us to suit our will. If you go to places like Ireland or a lot of places in Europe, you can look for miles and see no trees at all where there would have been billions of trees. Like, and yet now it is just completely like just rolling hillsides. Green still, of course, because they've got a lot of water over there, but just rolling hillsides. How does that happen? By man using his will in a negative direction. And then for us to go and say, God, it's your fault that you gave us this free will, this ultimate gift actually, aside from love, the ultimate gift that we could receive, and then go, God, it's all your fault that I'm using my will in that direction, is, I feel, gross hypocrisy. Because all of us enjoy free will, we all enjoy it in a day-to-day -day basis. You know, many of us have a cup of tea and a you know, buttered bun and, <laughs> and all those other things we have. And many of that, that is all an exercise of our free will, is it not? Much of which we enjoy every day. But when we see the negative results of our free will, we go, no, that part's all God's, God's fault. Do you think that's very fair analysis of the whole situation? And I'm saying to you, Avera, that actually what you're doing is not fairly examining the situation. Your own rage towards what's happened in your own life causes you to be so angry with God that you're not seeing the truth about God, that actually this gift of free will is one of the 
the, the most precious gifts that God's ever given you. And it can be exercised in a loving direction without having the need for anybody else to tell you what that direction is. Because to be frank, many of us have built in us already an idea of what is loving and what is not. And we refuse to acknowledge it because of another part of ourselves. And that is what Mary's referred to quite a lot. And that's our addictions. We want to stay in our addictions. The The man who goes to the pub and drinks every night right is in an addiction he's in an addiction because of something else that he doesn't want to face and almost all of us have addictions in our life most of them are emotional they're not related to substances except for the substance of emotions that we pass between each other that we want to have fulfilled by the other person and that is really what causes us to make to use our free will in harmony with error our avoidance of confronting those addictions confronting the deeper pain because all of the addictions are driven by the pains that we carry inside that we don't want to feel the pains we don't want to feel and so we want some other way to cover them over yeah and this is what's happened for yourself in your life there's a lot of pain from your childhood that you haven't wanted to feel and the key is to be willing to feel it now to make that choice to feel it completely because the next generation won't have to suffer if you do that Now, if I really love my next generation, I will make that choice to do that. But also in that process, I'm recognising the reason why I've got to go through this process is because of generation upon generation upon generation of mankind who has used their will in a negative direction without taking any responsibility for its outcome, of which I am one of these outcomes. So I look at all of my emotion, and I've had a lot of emotion to work my way through and still got more to work my way through. Every single time I feel the pain of it, I go, "Mm, not only is this because of choices other people around me have made, but it's also the multi-generational choice of mankind's desire to exercise his will without actually listening to God at all. Or, in most cases, without even listening to his own heart. And that's the problem we face. When are we going to listen to the heart, which is saying love instead? When are we going to listen to God, which all of God's creations are going love instead, peace instead? All of these things are happening and yet we're just ignoring it as a race and going, no, no, I'm going to continue exercising my will in that direction. Or for many of us, we exercise our will how everyone else wants us to exercise our will. Because we don't want to get to the point where we're heading in that direction when everyone around us is heading in the opposite direction which creates a lot of rage in those people and anger and resentment and attack and they just want to attack us. And most of us, let's face it, don't have the courage to stand up and be counted under all forms of attack. That's the problem we have. Now, when some of us are willing to do that and some of us wish to connect to God and understand this gift of free will in its complete state, we'll be willing even not only to feel our own pain, but we'll be actually willing to go through the pain that the generations before us have created. And we'll do that because we love. And not to go back to my embarrassing show of vulnerability (laughs) earlier, but... 
that is the part that makes it especially beautiful to me. If we're willing to face and take responsibility for ourselves right now as we are, error laden, as a result not only of our choices, but largely because of our choices, and we can't skip over that, but also because of the choices of so many people who came before us, my feeling is if we are willing to take responsibility at this moment in time, when there is a lot of inertia around us, there is a lot of people trying to pull us back, if we, if we exercise our will in a loving direction, I can guarantee you the quality of the love and the connection with God that you will create it will be very beautiful. Mm. Simply because of that, that deep pull that you have to overcome, you're going to be sure of it in your heart. You're going to feel this connection as a very strong and sure thing that you don't want to let go of. Mm. So the beauty of doing what Mary says is that when you've got opposition in your life, and you still know what's right and you do it, the quality of your courage is far greater than if you have no opposition in your life, you decide to do something and everybody says, yeah, beauty, I support you. Can you see the difference? And what we need is people who are courageous enough to buck the system that mankind has for generations created and to go into a different kind of system, a system that's based on love and truth only. And all of our systems based on love and truth. So the reality is, like I mentioned earlier, the t- current taxation system, not based on love or truth. How, how many of us want to falsify our return even because we just feel the need to? You know, like that, that's how, how we feel a desire to because we feel we're being stolen from. And for many, for many of us, that's the case. That's why there's this whole cash industry, is there not? I'll give you a bit of cash here and you give me a bit of cash there and nobody has to know about that. And, and this whole cash industry is all based around our own feelings about being controlled by a system that's unloving. Right? Once we actually recognise that we can change every system on the planet to be a loving system, mankind's got this fantastic creativity and intelligence. And we can use our intelligence and our creativity in very positive directions towards love and truth. And when we do that, you'll be surprised what systems we can create. Totally different systems than all of us here are used to growing up or, or have grown up in. And, but it's going to require us breaking this mould of belief, isn't it? Like a lot of times our parents believed it, so they then imposed it upon us. And their parents believed it and they imposed it onto our parents and... You know, our great-grandparents believed it and they posed it on our grandparents and so forth. And change takes many generations to occur nowadays up because we're not willing to break the moulds of the previous generation. Right? And we need to break the moulds of the previous generation if we're going to bring everything into harmony with love and truth. So that's what I feel would happen. And free will... I feel is just this beautiful, fantastic gift that God has given. And if I don't feel it as a gift, that's because I don't want to take responsibility for what I've created or for what others before me have created. Um, I think for me, taking responsibility is... Think that's all I've ever done, but from I don't think I've ever understood what I, love I would, really is. I'm sorry, is. Vera, I have to disagree with you. I, I can feel you quite strongly. You have not taken responsibility. You have taken blame. Yeah. 
And there's a very different thing between responsibility and blame. Can, can I explain? Like, so responsibility and blame are two completely different things. Right? Many of us have been taught to take the blame all of our lives, right from the childhood days. You know, like the parents smacking you and saying, and saying to you, I don't want to do this, it's your fault. How many of you have had your parents say that to you while they're smacking you? I don't want to do this. It's your fault I have to do this. Uh, that's because we're taught to take the blame over and over again for people's unloving actions and behaviour. That's not what I'm suggesting. Responsibility is different. Responsibility is understanding that I have actually made choices. Based on how I've been treated, I agree. But I have made choices that have caused negative events in other people's lives. And I do need to know and feel about those things without blaming myself for them. Do you, do you follow the difference? Blaming is when I become punishing of myself. So under blame, I punish myself. I attack myself. Uh, when you blame another, you punish them and you attack them. When you blame yourself, you punish yourself and you attack yourself. What else do you do if you're blaming yourself? You're punishing yourself, you're attacking yourself, you're right. angry with yourself. Right? You're judging yourself. Sorry, feeling? Guilt. You're disappointed you with yourself. Sorry, you know what that is. Disappointed, that is. Um, feel guilt about yourself. Right. Now, I'm not suggesting you need to feel any of those emotions, although if you do feel them, you obviously need to feel them. I'm saying that blame, which is this tendency for us to do this to ourselves, doesn't actually resolve a single thing. And I feel... Oh, I don't Go think on. I've got a microphone, but I, I feel that actually we don't have to feel a lot of these things. These thi I feel we create these things to avoid responsibility. That's certainly been my pattern. Yeah. It's my battery. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Oh, yeah. um, you, so when you take responsibility, you no longer do any of that to yourself. But you feel inside of yourself a deep remorse for your own actions towards others. So, so, if, if so it's remorse. Remorse. You're neater than me. And repentance that you start to feel. So when I've been, when I've thought I've been doing remorse and repentance, have I been doing blame? You've often been doing blame. Because you've been saying, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad mother. I'm a bad mother. You know, look at all the ways I've damaged my children. This is why also we become highly invested in the children changing before we do. Because we look at our children and we go, wow, look at what I did to them. And we don't want to feel what we did to them really. So what we do is we try to get them to change. First, I want me to change, but I'm too slow. Well, even feel the result of that. But that's not... Don't attack yourself for it. When you say you're too slow, what are you really feeling? Aren't you really feeling like... Punishing of yourself punishing and attacking. Punishing of yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, this is how I see Elvira. Elvira's had one very damaging mother in particular... 
who basically browbeated Avira all of her life into a very, very small box. Right? And now the person I see, the person's trying to struggle out of that box, but the box is made of bricks, you know? And she's going to have to chip away at the mortar of each one of these things until she gets a hole in one of the bricks. And when she gets a hole in one of the bricks, she's then going to have to chip away at the mortar of another brick and push that out. And when she got a few of the bricks out, the wall will fall down. That's what is going to have to happen for Avira to get out of this, this brick box that her mother built. Right? So if you, if you want somebody, to, if you want to say somebody's to blame, your environment as you were a child is to blame and your mother could have the same blames associated to her mother and so forth and so forth. Do you follow me? But the reality is if Elvira doesn't realise she's in the box or she realises she's in the box and she wants somebody else to break her out of it, now Elvira is not taking responsibility. Do you see the difference? So Elvira is in the box and she's only got her mother and some other corresponding factors to who were responsible for the construction of this box that Elvira is now in. You follow me? But Elvira is now in it. Mum's off doing her own thing. All the rest of the environment when Elvira was a child pretty much doing their own thing. Elvira is still sitting in the box. Now the only person that can break Vera out of the box is Elvira and of course, believe it or not, the God that Elvira does not trust. They're the only people that can help Elvira get out of this box now, really. And that's going to mean Elvira chipping away at all of the untruths of her life and accepting how she's been treated and feeling some pain and all of those things. And as she gets the first brick out, then she'll start to see the light. Do you follow me? What have I been doing for a year if I haven't been chipping? You've already been doing the chipping. But you're now coming across some pretty major questions. You have yet in the last year to resolve these questions that you've got with God. Do you follow me? This is why last week we had that talk down in Melbourne about, about resolving these questions, these real things that we have going on with God. You know, the fact that we don't trust God, that we think God's cruel, that we think God's not taking responsibility, that some of us think God doesn't exist, and all those kind of things. We need to resolve these questions, because if we don't, you're not going to be able to continue chipping away. You need somebody to trust, aside from the Vera, right? And until you can trust God, it's going to be a very heavy effort chipping away. Once you deal with these emotions, you will now start to feel totally different because you will now feel you do have someone you can trust. For the first time in your life, actually, you will feel that you, there's somebody else that you can rely on, right? that you can trust other than yourself. And as you chip away that, that when that brick comes out, this is the brick that's the most important one for you to deal with, I feel. When that brick comes out of the wall you will see what's the other side of the wall for the first time and you'll see some light in your life as a result. Not only that, the next brick is going to be much easier to chip away at and get rid of. Does that make sense? That's exactly what it's going to be like. But the first brick, and the first brick I feel strongly, is the bricks related to fear and our relationship with God. Those, those bricks... If we don't deal with those, they'll plague us the rest of our lives until we deal with them. And you know that you've got a brick of fear 
and a brick about God to definitely work your way through. So just focus on that. Forget about the damage you're doing for your sons for a bit. Like when I say forget about, I don't say I'm not saying that at some point in the future you will not feel more responsible for it and have remorse and repentance about it as you already have done. But I'm saying forget about trying to change them and make their life better. Focus on these two things, the fear and the God issue, first. Just plug away, plug away at that until it's resolved. Then you'll have enough energy to worry about the other things. Thank you. Should we have a a break? break? Yep. Yep.